Hey friends, are you familiar with the most trusted business network for business executives? It's the C-Suite Network. If you're a business of $5 million or greater, and if you're a VP level or higher, then you're invited to join the C-Suite Network to connect with your business peers. Go to c-suitenetwork.com, that's a c-suitenetwork.com, to learn more about the benefits, meetings, and services exclusive for C-Suite executives like you. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 452 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. So a couple quick items before we meet today's guest. If you like the show, it'd really help us out if you'd go to iTunes, subscribe to Accelerate, and while you're there, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Also, I'd love to hear from you. If you have suggestions about topics or guests that you'd like me to feature on Accelerate, then please send me a note with your suggestions to accelerate.fm at gmail.com. Now, friends, if you're looking for new ideas about how to amp up your sales, then go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark and get my free ebook, How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. It's based on my interviews with over 300 sales experts on this show about what they would do to boost their sales. And I've compiled the recommendations into a practical step-by-step guide that you can use to accelerate your sales today. So don't wait. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark to get your free copy of How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. I'm excited to be joined on the show today by Sally Doobie. Sally's the West Coast General Manager of the Bridge Group and an inside sales and sales development expert. Sally Doobie, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you so much, Andy. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm honored to be talking with you. Oh. I feel like I've met my superstar. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I feel honored to speak with you. So we've we've chatted several times, but never uh, never yes. recorded anything. So question for you, just sort of start off, is, is in your mind today, when you look at the clients you work with, and, and you're working primarily in Silicon Valley, so what is the single biggest challenge you see facing sales leaders today? Wow. Okay. That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's an all-encompassing one of hiring and retaining talent um, and predominantly at the lower level. We see people struggling because the market out here is so hot and it's hard to find experienced people. Um, so we're bringing in a lot, you know, younger people with less experience, which is awesome, but we're not keeping them and we're not setting them up for success. So a lot of the, uh, teams that are typical, typical of a younger, less experienced group, such as sales development reps, and maybe even inside sales teams, Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing tons of turnover. We're seeing people that get, very dissatisfied with the job, the company, because they're not being set up for success. And so let's define what that means is not being set up for success. Yeah. So basically we're hiring these people again, without a lot of experience, knowledge, even just general business experience. And we're putting them into a position with very little to 
next to nothing training um, or onboarding. We're although I take it back in technology, we're really good at training about us as the vendor. Mm-hmm. It's you know the training's all about our product and who we are and how great we are and we're the next coolest greatest thing since um, you know since the iPhone. But yet we don't give any training as to okay, once I get out of here and I go sit at my desk and I need to go talk to our buyers, what's important to them? Because our buyers could care less about, you know, me as a vendor. And so we're not bridging that gap. um, And we're not focused in our onboarding about our buyers and why we're really here as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not making that transition and we're not giving these new people any idea as to what's the right messaging, who they should even really be going after from a target company-wise, a buyer-wise um, scenarios, and you know exactly what are we going to say to them that's going to resonate, that's important to them uh, to show that we can help solve their problems. And so consequently, when people you know, get started in their job, they're all gung-ho, they're excited, they're raring to go, and they're, you know, on phone call after phone call or email after email, hopefully a combination of both phone and email, and they're just getting nothing but crickets. Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what to say. <laughs> they don't know how to attract attention to to the buyers so that it'll resonate. Um, so that's what I mean about Sorry, that was a long-winded answer because well, I could go on okay, about well, this, this for a while. Yeah, well, hmm, I, I couldn't tell. So, <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, yeah, I was. You were waiting for me to call and ask that question. So, yeah, exactly. Well, so there's multiple parts to your answer. I mean, one is is this idea of of the rapid turnover we get within the SDR ranks, especially in within the tech sector. Is you're saying you know, it's hot, it's hard to attract people, but if people are leaving primarily because they're dissatisfied, are they? F- landing at a place where it's better or do we have sort of this you know wandering cohort of SDR sort of moving from company to company because you know it, it's perceived to be sort of a disposable job position so yeah interesting point and i think what we are getting and when i talk to managers of these positions they're like you know these people are wondering. I mean, it's very common to be interviewing SDRs and inside sales reps that move every six months to a year. And so they're continuously job hopping and they're prime. They get a little bit of training and experience and a recruiter calls them and says, hey, you know, we've got the next hot company. They're mm-hmm. going to IPO. You can make a million dollars, um, you know, or whatever. And it's that bright, shiny object. And so they're not happy where they're at, makes them very open um, and interested to talk to another company and say, hey, you know, maybe it's got a chance of being better there that I can be more successful because I don't see it here. Or the other thing that a lot of them are leaving for is, a really well thought out and defined career path because they want to know that they can move up. Mm-hmm. Well, which seems to be a problem because I, <laughs> you and I were both at the same conference, uh, the Saster conference a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I had this conversation with several of the companies that were exhibiting and giving yes. a conversation about their sales model and what they're doing. And, and I always ask the question, so what is the career path for an SDR? And, you know, there were several 
of the people that responded that were at VP level basically said, there isn't one. Almost surprised that I asked the question. <laughs> well, you know, that's a shame if that's what they're saying, because there really should be, and the SDR career path can take a multitude of different angles, but just even within the SDR group, there should be levels, right? So there's a career path as you start off, and if you come to a company with no experience as SDR, or this is only your second job as an SDR, um, you you should have different levels that you can move up once you prove yourself, um, different opportunities. So in a lot of the companies, Companies we work with, we um, work with them to put in multiple levels within that SDR role itself. So whether it's three levels or maybe even five levels, that is the opportunity for them to continue to grow within that function. Because um, you really need to have a minimum of a year in the SDR function before you um, really understand it and are gaining some benefits and are also, by the way, getting a payback, giving a payback really to the company for investing in you. Um, and we do see companies that promote people out of the SDR function before a year is up when the rep hasn't been in the SDR function for a year, that their success rate is minimal. I mean, we actually see over 60% failure of people that move from an SDR to, let's say, an inside sales position within a year, right? So there's something wrong with that. And there are a lot of different skills that you need to learn before you can move into sales that you don't use as an SDR. You don't use negotiation and how to present to multiple people, how to demo, right? So those are all very important skills that you have to learn and should be part of that progression within the SDR role. Um, but again, it doesn't always have to mean that as an SDR, you have to move into a sales function. You can move into you know, a team lead as an SDR. You can move into a management function as an SDR. Or what also, and there are a lot of people come into the SDR role and realize, you know what? I had no idea what this was about. <laughs> I hate it, right? <laughs> exactly. And you know what? This isn't for me. Um, and, you know, I can totally understand. I mean, the SDR role has got to be one of the toughest within the company, but yet we don't give it that recognition and support. Um, and so, you know, the, it could be if it's a really good person and they've got a great aptitude, a great um attitude as well and are learning and picking this up, maybe they'd be great in a marketing, an entry-level marketing role, whether it's in you know a social media mm -hmm. role or a demand gen role, an operations role, um, or maybe they'd be great in an account management or customer success role as well. Well, is, so, it, is it really time yeah. to, to sort of start saying more uniformly that maybe SDR is it's not really a sales role? Yeah, it's not. It's not. And, you know, people really, I mean, it reports into the sales function more often than not. Um, over, I think it's like over 70% of the time, we typically are seeing it report into sales, but it's not necessarily a sales role, right? There's lots of differences between that and a sales role. So I think if people are considering it a sales role, it's probably doing it a disservice. Well, if it's not a sales role, though, so what becomes entry-level sales role in a company um, that, has, know, that has this particular sales model, right? I mean, if, if you have the inside sales model, the sort of the, 
quote unquote predictable revenue model, you know, you got specialized sales roles. You know, if, if SDRs aren't a sales function, what is the entry level sales role? Well, I think it can be a really good role still to move into sales if people find out that that's they like that <laughs> um, the makeup of what that is that you're on the phone on the computer a lot you're you know needing to talk to a whole bunch of different people um, on a regular basis and moving things through you know a cycle. Mm-hmm. So if, if that if you like, I mean the SDR role I think is still a good fit for it, but we have to do a better job as managers and as companies um, setting them up to so, be able to move into that role. So let's talk about because you've you know started started by talking about that as they were setting them up for failure. So how do we set them up for success? Yeah, so I think during the onboarding, the one of the best ways to start is during the onboarding is to not just train them about you as the company and how great you are um, and, you know, all about your product, but to start entering in and really focus the training around who's buying our products, right, and make it much more about the buyer. What are What does that buyer look like? If you get a lot of these people into a company and let's say they're a security software company, they may not even know what a CISO is, right, a chief information security officer. They have probably have never heard of that term, didn't even know a CISO existed. Um, and so what do they do every day? What's their job about? What's their responsibilities? And how is that person looked at as a success um, and doing their job properly. So giving them the background of the different buyers and the value that you bring to those buyers. What are their problems, their needs, the opportunities that they're looking for, and how do we fit in? So you're teaching, again, much more about what your buyers want and need and how you can provide value to them. It's not about product features, speeds, and so on. It's about the value that you bring to the buyer and how do you have those um, more business solution-oriented, if you will, conversations with your buyer so you can raise it up a level. Well, um, but on the other hand, though, you have, you have some number of people that manage that function that say, it's just only about getting the meeting or getting the appointment for the demo mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's yep. it. And these, you know, more in-depth conversations really just aren't the purview of the SDR. And well, but there are other people also, you know, that I'm sure you know from you from your your work with companies, and I certainly have to talk to companies about this that see that gosh, maybe there's more of a role for the SDR to be go a little bit further into the process than just setting the appointment. Yes. So we got these and, stark these stark yeah. camps. Absolutely, but I don't think even if you are in the camp of they're just to set up a meeting, an appointment, or a demo and move on, that you know the way that they're going to get the attention of the person of the buyer to set up that meeting and that demo is by being able to have a message and a conversation that resonates with the buyer. And the way to do that is by having a conversation that is about the buyer and about their needs and wants and challenges. It may be, you know, a one one off conversation that you have with them, but that's how you're going to get that conversation is by showing that you understand what they're going through and what 
problems they have that they're looking to solve or what opportunity there may be for them to, you know, increase revenue, increase their customer adoption themselves, whatever the, you know, their opportunity is um, to grow. And so that's how you attract their attention. If you go in, and I get these emails all the time from sales tools vendors, Mm. which I think are... As do I. Yes. And and I think that we're probably in agreement that they are some of the worst (laughs) prospecting emails. I've I've got many, many examples of those. I mean, I was just, so I was just, as we talked about, I was just at the Saster conference a couple weeks ago. And there'll be several months by the time this, this episode airs. But, but yeah, I was going around from booth to booth and introducing myself as, as a podcaster. And in some cases, you know, interested in talking to their CEO or whoever is there, see if they have an interesting story that might be worth having on the show. And so I was extremely clear when they when they scanned my badge. Can we scan your badge? Absolutely. But I just want to make sure you know. You know, don't I'm not a prospect. Right. <laughs> I'm right. here to talk to your CEO. Don't send me an email. Don't follow up. They all have. Yes. You know, yes. The, yes. You came by. I remember talking to you at the booth. Well, actually, no. You didn't. (laughs) Right. And so you instantly lose credibility when you do things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, you know, I I get these emails, you know, hey, Sally, I want to talk to you about our great list that we have. You know, so when can you schedule a few minutes so I can tell you about our great list? Well, I don't care about your great list. I'm sorry. That's not my need. Mm -hmm. Right. So. You know, and so I just keep hitting delete, delete. And then the next one is, hey, you haven't responded to my, you know, my previous email. So I wanted to raise this to the top of your email. I still want to tell you about how great we are. Yeah. Well, or how that, cool. Right. And again, it's it's like, sorry, that's not of interest to me. Um, you know, or we get the ones just like you said, hey, Sally, we want to talk to you about your security and what are you doing to, you know, prevent DDoS attacks? And it's like, oh my God, we're a small boutique consulting company. Seriously? You know, I'm not your buyer. Why are you wasting your time on me? And that's because the people don't understand who their target market is and who the right buyers are and what the messaging is, who they should be going after. Yeah, And And so they're not being successful, right? Right. They're doing any research to it at all. Exactly. Exactly. And they're not getting guidance from management or I shouldn't, I would never have been on anybody's list. Right. Well, I saw an interesting post, a Facebook post. Well, was it LinkedIn? Must've been LinkedIn over the weekend. Um, who is it from? Uh, friend Chad Burmeister. I don't know if you know who Chad is. I you know, know Chad. Chad. You know Love Chad. Chad. Yeah. So everybody knows Chad. So, yes. <laughs> so Chad's post was basically, Hey, you know, here's an application or a company working on an application that, basically can do I think he used a range like 75 to 90 percent this AI based app 75 to 90 percent of what an SDR could do with greater consistency you know basically game over Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. what's your thought about that you know I, I think that maybe there is a place for some of that technology to automate some routine tasks um I don't know that it can replace an SDR. I mean, at the end of the day, where SDRs are successful is when they actually engage. And to me, engagement is having a conversation 
that is relevant to that buyer and can ask those intelligent questions, read, you know, get back information and, and keep the conversation going and show that, you know, there is a reason why they should want to engage further and talk to us because we can help them at some point. I'm not sure that AI is there yet. Um, I remember AI from the 90s. <laughs> um, and it's still, you know, it's getting much better, yeah. but I don't think it's there yet um, to be able to replace having those personal conversations um, that will get people to say, yes, I'm willing to have an hour conversation with your sales team, um, your solutions expert, whatever you want to call them and label them to find out more. Mm -hmm. um, there's very few that can do it by email only. Again, you've got to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation to be able to express and understand what's going on in that person's world and how you can help them. So still room for the human in the SDR Absolutely. role. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in, in 20 years from now, who knows? <laughs> well, let's let's look at the more near-term future for, for the SDR role. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, where do you see it headed? Is it is it something you see that it's uh, the responsibilities of the role is that are going to creep a little further into the into the selling cycle into the buying cycle? Because you know now we hear some companies you know using the SDRs even to do discovery calls. Yeah, you know we've been doing this. I, I mean that is actually nothing new. We've been I've been in consulting for twenty some years. Um, I got started when I was a teenager, but um, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> But we, um, you know, every time you kind of play around with this, um, there's some trade-offs, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's less going to the sales team, which in some cases could be good, but the salespeople still need to be fed. And I think at the end of the day, the sales team is still probably the better source of really being able to ask and understand those questions um, as and to understand more about who really is a viable prospect and has a need and who should we be carrying on additional conversations with. Um, you know, so I, I, I we still haven't seen a whole lot of headway and changes for the most part um, in that. I, I think, again, they're, they're very different skill sets and especially as we're hiring younger and younger with less experience, um, I think, you know, that that gets harder and harder to do. If you want to go out and pay somebody, a, you know, $110,000, $120,000, that maybe was a salesperson at one point in time and for, you know, lifestyle, personal reasons, whatever, they don't want to be in the sales function, maybe you could do that. Um, you know, but it depends on, I think, your your product, who your market is, your average deal size as mm -hmm. to when that works well or not. Right. So what, you know, we've talked mostly sort of in the, the tech context in terms of SDRs and so on. I mean, are you working with companies that are in the tech sphere? And if so, you know, how do you see them implementing the SDR role differently or the same as, as companies in the tech sector? Yeah, so outside of the TAC, we are getting into, you know, and have worked outside of the TAC. And um, we love actually working with those companies because they are very open and receptive to learning new ways. And they are, especially with <laughs> Trisha's book. <laughs> is, the, well, is the implication that people in the tech sector aren't open 
the learning new ways? Wow. Uh, yeah, let me, how do, how do I delicately say this? I think that, and, and you know, there's a real difference, I have to say, in the tech sector out here in the Valley versus even the East Coast. And Trish and I talk about this all the time. Um, I think out in the West Coast, there is the phenomena that we like to believe we're all really smart people and we know it all. And we can huh. figure it out. What a shock. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. Um, so, you know, but I think that outside of tech, people are, you know, and again, with Trish's book, sorry for the shameless plug for Trish no, and the sales development playbook, but it's awesome. And with that getting out into, you know, the wide variety of space, we are finding, I mean, we've got companies that are like, they manufacture um, shoe sole inserts, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are coming and they're like, hey, you know, our salespeople are struggling to keep the pipeline full, they're spending too much time on, you know, prospects that aren't right. the right prospects. So it's all the same reasons of why we do it in tech, that they're realizing there's a better way. And with a little bit of an investment, we can actually get that way back in our sales, because now our salespeople who are awesome at selling and moving customers through and getting them to close, you know, now we can focus them on a subset of customers that are really, you know, um, well qualified and the ones they should be working for. So we're doing a lot more and if people are really receptive and finding great results outside of tech. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's good to know. Because yeah. I mean, so much of, I don't know, sometimes I think I end up feeding this phenomenon, but you know, there's this, <laughs> there's this bubble, right? And uh, <laughs> we are living in the bubble. Yes. Live, yeah, especially you. You live right in the middle of the bubble. And yeah, I mean, so much of what is talked about in terms of what's happening in sales these days is really what's happening in tech and doesn't really reflect what's happening outside of tech, which is, you know, the vast majority of our economy. So, um, yeah, it's good to hear that that things are starting to change, but it's it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. And the part of the reason I asked the question is, you know, there's. Oh, there was a new book that came out recently that uh, I'd read about uh, where the author was saying that you know our productivity in the economy is is at its lowest ebb since World War II. Productivity growth, um, for sure, and yes. that that you know one of the sort of unintended consequences of some of our technology is that we're actually becoming less curious. Yes, and we're seeing that in some of the companies, right? Because you know if you want a solution, you know, this, this author talks about the idea of, of, uh, you know, technology matches you with a solution for what your problem is pretty quickly. So there's not as much discovery involved and not yep. as much curiosity because you get this answer. And so that's why I said it's, it's good to hear that, that you see companies embracing this. But I think more have to be coming part of this wave because, you know, I, I talk with companies, you know, I give this example fairly often on the show about, you know, one client I was working with, a big inside sales team that has no tools and technology at all. Yep. Other than the CRM system, but that's it. You know, mm -hmm. basic, you know, email tracking, even just the basics they don't have. And I see that as not as unusual as people think it is. People don't yeah. think about Salesforce as ubiquitous. Well, actually, it's not. Yep. Well, and that, that customer is probably doing pretty well. I mean, I think that we've gone sort of over the edge. We've gone from having nothing but a CRM to having, you know, over 2,000 tools available mm -hmm. just in the app exchange, right? Um, and, 
literally, I mean, <laughs> there's so many that we don't even know about. Um, and we do have a couple of customers that they've been really awesome at. Their rule is for any new reps coming on board, you can't have access to a tool until you've been there at least 90 days and you have to earn access to additional tools um, by doing certain things. Yeah, because they found you really don't understand if you automate too much or have a tool, just like what you were saying, you don't even understand what you're doing or how things are working um, to know until you go through it manually. And so um, I think we're seeing more companies sort of, you know what, we got a little bit too too tool crazy. We're cutting back until we really get a handle on this. And, you know, if you don't have a good process manually, you don't have good message manually, by adding a tool to that, you're, all you're doing is sending out more crap to more people. Sorry for my French. Yeah, well, I mean, the, and you're going to fail faster. Right, and in I mean, some cases, that's good if you understand right. where your failure point is and you know how to correct it. If you don't correct it and know where you're failing, then you've got a massive problem. <laughs> yeah, I know some expression that people are using more frequently these days is a, a fool with a tool is still a fool. I love that. I think is that uh, Jill. Yeah, somebody I don't know who. Probably, who, who I think you said that. I love it. I love that expression. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Sally, it's been great to talk with you. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about you or connect with you and learn more about the Bridge Group. Oh, thanks so much, Andy. Um, I've loved doing this. And um, so I am on LinkedIn at, um, at Sally Doobie, all one word, and that's D as in David, U, B as in boy, Y. And that's my Twitter handle as well. Or go to bridgegroupinc.com. And we have all sorts of resources, free resources, surveys, research, reports, blogs um, on there, all relative to inside sales in the sales development world. It's a good blog. I mean, Trish is a, a very good blog writer, and uh, people would be well served to spend some time checking that out as well. So, well, again, Sally, thank you very much. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow or the next day to uh, join us again. Until then, if you have a chance, I'd really appreciate it if you go to iTunes, take a second, leave a review, subscribe to Accelerate. We want to hear what you have to say, what we can do to help make this a better experience for you. But until then, thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>